Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. We're going to do 1 Samuel, um, verses 10 to 18. And this is about when it says she, we're talking about that. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. Then I will be sent, then I will send, I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drank neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out with great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant petition to obey to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her contentment was sad no longer. Amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. How are you? Good. This uh, scripture, uh, well, first of all, I'm Brittany. Great to meet you. Uh, so this scripture reading this week uh, of Hannah praying in the temple makes me think of the ugly cry. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say the ugly cry? Uh, let me give you the Urban Dictionary definition and then I'll describe it a little further. The ugly cry, as Urban Dictionary says, is a type of crying that can feel both really good and really bad at the same time. It is the crying where you lose complete control of all the muscles in your face. Right? <laughs> this is the sort of crying where there's awkward and weird noises, or maybe no noise at all, because you're just like. Right? <laughs> this is the kind of crying where there is fluid leaking from all orifices of your face, right? Oh, Mouth, nose, eyes, probably oh, not ears, but I don't know. I maybe. maybe. Um, <laughs> The ugly cry, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it feels really bad because it's embarrassing for anybody that we're around. <laughs> <laughs> to be that vulnerable, that naked, right? That, like, ugly in front of anybody. But it also feels really good to be that vulnerable and that open and that naked in front of us. And even if you are the kind of person that does the ugly cry locked in your bathroom with the shower running, I think that's a prayer. And so you are doing that ugly cry in front of God. Right? 
ugly cry. Have we all been there? I imagine this is the kind of prayer that Hannah was engaged at in the temple of Shiloh. I want to give you a little backstory on her. Uh, Eli accused her of being drunk. I don't think she was drunk. I think she was doing an ugly cry. So here's her backstory. Hannah is married to Elkanah. And they were married for many years, but, but Hannah never conceived a child. She's never able to have a child. And so eventually, the scripture doesn't say this, but we can assume that eventually uh, Elkanah decides to marry Penelia, which we don't see in the scripture passage, but that is, is Elkanah's second wife. And Penelia does exactly what she should be doing, which is she has children. She has sons. She has daughters. And so Elkanah's legacy is, you know, secured. Hannah is grieved, though, because year after year, the, the whole clan, Elkanah, Peninnah, all of her uh, kids, and Hannah, they go to the temple at Shiloh, and they uh, uh, Elkanah offers sacrifice. And year after year, it is like a slap in the face, because Hannah has no children. Um, and not only does she not have children, but Peninnah takes every opportunity she can to rub it into Hannah's face that she doesn't have children. And this just becomes accented when they go to the temple at Shiloh, and Elkanah does, as is customary at the time, he offers a sacrifice, and then he takes a, a portion of that sacrifice and gives it to Peninnah and each of their children, their sons and their daughters. So Peninnah's family gets a huge sacrifice. And then he hands a, a portion of the sacrifice to Hannah, and she just gets the one portion. But Elkanah loves her so much, he gives her a double portion. But it still, it still just shows how skewed the situation is. That Hannah has no children and is sitting there with that double portion. And Peninnah and her children each have a portion. You see how hard that would be? And so Hannah is, is distraught and she, and she doesn't eat, right? I would imagine that this, this situation of, of sadness for Hannah is... It's part emotional, it's part social, it's part economic, all of that grief together. It's emotional because she longs for a child. She longs to nurture someone. She longs to have a, a child in, in, that, that clings to her and loves her as any man does. But it's also social. Um, at that time in the ancient Near East, and I would say sometimes even today, when women are, are barren, as it's, it's used in the biblical term, or in, infertile, here, we oftentimes assume that there, there's, it's the woman's fault, right? And nowadays we say, oh, if you would just relax or if it was stressful. But, but even at the time, like, there was something wrong with her as a woman because she could not conceive, is, is, is what the thought. So that's socially isolating, emotional. And that was part economic. Hannah's future was in her ability to have a son. Because Elkanah, though he loved her dearly, when he died, she would be a widow without. And so she needed the security, economically speaking, of having a child. So all of this, all of this pain that Hannah carried, year after year, would get compounded in their trip to the temple at Shiloh. And, and Hannah would not eat enough, but he didn't help. He was like, oh, Hannah, he was trying to be understanding, but he turned it into a situation about him. Oh, Hannah, don't, don't you know that I love you more than any other son could ever love you? It's going to be okay. That, that does not help, right? <laughs> <laughs> Eat something. Eat something. 
So she ate her food, and then she went to the temple to pray and to do the ugly thing. And it is in uh, this ugly cry that we hear Eli accuse her of being drunk. But it is this ugly cry that is this pleading and pleading for God to give her a child. Praying from the very depths of her longing. She was heavy, full of burdens for not having a child, and it was in the temple that she unloaded all of this to God. She unloaded it in prayer. The ugly cry prayer, I'll call it. We've been talking in this sermon series about being naked and vulnerable in prayer. And I define prayer to you as a shared life with and sometimes that shared life with God includes the messy, ugly cry that makes us look awful, but that shows our very deep self. That shows our deepest longings and the things that we try to mask in our everyday life. A shared life with God is being completely open and vulnerable and sharing all of the inward longings of our hearts. And this is just what Hannah did. So that's good, right? Can you get that? Can you get that point today? Like, it's good to do the ugly cry with God. But the question then for me becomes, what does God do with that prayer? How does God answer it? We see in the scripture passage today that uh, that in Hannah's case, she does end up conceiving a child. Hannah's story is at the beginning of 1 Samuel. We, um, we saw 1 first, first and 2 Samuel, and, and Hannah conceiving a child and giving birth is, many scholars think it's this, it's this beautiful story then of, of what happens with Israel, a new birth of Israel, right? And so it's a great, beautiful story to begin the story of Israel's new birth that we see in 1 Samuel. So her prayer is answered. But it leaves me wondering, what about all of the ugly dry prayers that have been just as desperate, just as vulnerable, and have not been answered? What about all the ones where people have longed and longed and said what they want and they've done the ugly cry, and it hasn't worked? God, please, Please don't let my parents disown me when I come out to them. And then their parents kick them out. God, please, please, you know my loved one is ill. Heal them. And then they take a turn for the worse and die. God, please help me find a job. I have to pay my rent. But no job. God, please, 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 please let the results come back negative. And they come back positive, and there's doctor's appointments and tests. God, the violence in our city, it is overwhelming. Stop it. And yet we wake up to the news of more deaths. So many of us, I dare say, all of us, if we're honest with ourselves at one time or another, have struggled with our faith because we see God and God appears silent and impotent when we cry out in our time of deepest pain. 
And what makes these unanswered prayers more disturbing in my mind is that when some Christians then complain, uh, claim that their like, random insignificant prayers are answered. My friend, she told me this story one time. She was in a campus ministry and she, they were on a campus trip, or a camping trip, and somebody lost their keys, and so the whole, the whole group circles up and they're praying, God, please help us find these keys. And wow, guess what? They found them. And my friend thought, how, why is God intervening to help find these keys, but not intervening for the violence? She thought there's something wrong with that, right? See, I don't actually believe it works that way. I, I don't think that God is some sort of Santa Claus where if we ask, God will you know, give, or, or that God is some puppet master that um, controls the strings, and if we just um, have a direct line or some sort of way, then we can maybe convince God to manipulate the puppets in a certain way. We can't just ask God and expect to receive. I don't think God works that way. So then the next question is probably like, well, Brittany, then how does that work? What's the point of prayer? Why do we pray? Right? We pray because the asking is important. We pray because the ugly cry, the place of absolute vulnerability, where we discover God's presence and God's desire for us, that is that place of nakedness is where we become receptive to God's Prayer is the way we become open to God's guidance. Prayer is when we are shaped and formed into God's likeness. It is where we catch a glimpse of God's vision for this world that extends far beyond our personal circumstance, but also includes our personal circumstance. Prayer is where we are met and held and cleaned up and sent out. Prayer is that absolute nakedness before God. And I do think that God answers prayers, just not in that direct, intervening way. God usually works in extremely ordinary ways, by sending people around you to show up in your life and in the community. You know what? Sometimes miracles do happen. I'm not going to say that. But they are very, very rare. That's why they're called miracles. Right? Because they're so rare. Most of the time, God uses the natural laws of physics and biology around us, right? Most of the time, God works through us. So when someone is undergoing cancer treatment, God is working through the inventors of the chemotherapy and radiation. God is working and, um, in the wisdom of the doctors and nurses and caretakers that are around when someone is looking for a job, God is working in the networking that that person is doing, and, 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 and the hope would be that we're all open and attentive to God's spirit working in our lives. When someone is kicked out of their home for being gay, God is there in the community that that person finds, that tells that person they are of a sacred birth. When someone prays for the violence in the community to end. God is working in the restorative justice piece. Because why do you think I've been so in favor of justice, y'all? The justice because God is working in that. And when someone dies, that's 
the next question you're asking, right? When someone dies, how is God working in that? When we say a word about death, death is the thing that we fear, right? When we pray for another person that is facing death, um, God answers that prayer too, but not always in keeping the person alive. We should pray for our friends that are diagnosed with illnesses and, and, and facing death. And we should pray because God wants to know our vulnerability that, that they would be healed. God wants to know our desires. But we also have to know that God, remember I said God works in the natural laws of this world. In illness, aging and death are all part of our human condition. And God's answer to prayer has been the resurrection of Jesus. Reminding us that death is not the final answer. Reminding us that, that there is new life beyond this life. And God's answer to prayer in the midst of death is also the people around. It's, it sounds silly, it's the casseroles that show up. It's the people that build the community and surround the person who has been grieved from that death. I like the way that Pastor Adam Hamilton, he's a pastor out in Kansas City, in Kansas, says, he says, God intends us to be the answer to one another's prayers. See, God works through us nudging us, opening our hearts to be instruments of God so that we can answer the prayers of others. That means that our work is to be open and attentive to the nudging of the Spirit, asking for wisdom and guidance and peace and patience and strength so that we can bless others, so that we can be the answer to prayer for others. I've shared with uh, many of you over the last month or so that Monica and I have begun the foster process, foster care process. We actually, praise the Lord, just finished 27 hours of classwork um, on Wednesday. I have a certificate to prove it. Um, and we meet with our licensing representative in a couple of weeks. And we are so excited to be welcoming this new little one into our home. We know that it might be that we have a little one that stays us with us for a, a short time while their parents work on the situation that, that the child ended up in foster care for. We hope that it, it's that means brokenness with the family, but we hope that there is a child somewhere that we will be able to adopt long term so that our family can grow. I will say that I never would have thought that we would be in this this process. Actually, Monica and I have been married for 13 years, and I would have assumed 13 years ago that, that at this point in our marriage, we would we would have, we have a three and a half year old now, I would have assumed that we would have like maybe a seven, an eight year old, and maybe also a three and a half year old. You know what I mean? I would have assumed that we would have more children earlier in the process. We uh, first began trying to get pregnant back in 2007. You can do the math, that was a long time ago. And over the course of about four years and many, 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 many failed attempts, um, 
who were heartbroken and doing a lot of ugly cry prayers. A lot of ugly cry prayers. And then eventually, uh, three and a half, yeah, three and a half years ago, Ruby was born and we were elated and joyful and so excited. And because it had been so much time for her, for the pregnancy, like many years of trying, we started when she was about nine months old, we started again. And after about five tries, um, full of prayer, God, please let this work. This is what we want. Um, it was a lot of negative pregnancy results. And um, a lot of ugly cry prayers following each other. Why, God? Why? Right? And then, the magic six We're overjoyed. And about a week later, found out I was So there were more ugly cries, more ugly cries. And um, after about nine months, we tried again. And cautiously received good news. About nine months ago, cautiously received good news and um, cautiously, quietly hoped. And waited and got more excited as time went by. And then we received the news again. I don't want to ugly cry in front of you all, so let's keep this a little fun. <laughs> then we received the news again of another failed pregnancy. And um, my ugly cry at that point turned to, I can't do this anymore. And God heard my prayers and he answered me. Not by breaking natural law and suddenly making me pregnant. Not by doing something supernatural. But by opening me and preparing me to a new way to begin. By preparing us and thinking about the most vulnerable children in our state who need a home. And reminding us that we have that home to get. And that we have an amazing community. This community, right here, and other family and friends community, we have an amazing community to care and support for. A little And that is an answer to prayer. See, God is not Santa Claus dropping a baby into our house in the middle. But God's grace has prepared us and shaped us to see that our prayers for a child are being answered. Through the state of Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Especially since there's no budget. God responded to our prayers through the power of the Spirit working in our family and in this community and in the other communities that we have, the people we're surrounded by. Hey, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what your ugly cry, cry prayer is, what that long-standing prayer has been in your life that maybe is seemingly going unanswered or went 
the answer.